Today's episode is brought to you by Yelp, whose mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping me connect with you, which is totally awesome. Now here we go. We donate a meal for every meal that we produce, and it goes to those um, those in need, and um, in particular, uh, the less fortunate and the homebound elderly. And so that has just been kind of like the backbone. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. If hosting this show has made one thing incredibly clear, it's that teamwork, data, and resources will be what help us thrive post-pandemic. Understanding that, Yelp and I have created a cheat sheet, offering insight into consumer behavior, popular trends, and free tools and resources to help you get open and stay open. You can download that guide at joshcopel.com forward slash resources. Didn't write that down? There's a link in the show notes as well. The pandemic did not pick favorites. No business owner was immune from the debilitating effects of the quarantine. Big restaurateurs with big restaurants and big rents need big plans to weather this storm. On today's episode, we chat with celebrity chef Adam Perry Lang, who shares how he's been affected and his strategy for rebounding. You know, work-life balance, I mean, it's always been a tremendous challenge for me. Um, in particular, most uh, most chefs in general, because to really just delve in and to do what we do, but do it well. I mean, it's a constant craft that requires constant honing through repetition. And, and the only thing to get through it is the time, is putting in the time. And um, if you're passionate like me, like so many people are, um, that's when you're wishing that there was 48 hours in a day. You know, and unfortunately, um, you know, the way our hours are constantly structured is that every time every the rest of the world has off, you know, those are peak times where we're working. So, you know, particularly with my kids, it's it's it can be very challenging. Um, My kids are very resilient, I I think. But, you know, I hope sometimes because, you know, it requires a lot of patience of a lot of times not being there or, you know, if it was just as easy as cooking, then, you know, it would be no problem. But, you know, it's all the other things that are popping in. And oftentimes, most of those things really don't have boundaries. So we have so many of these, these things that pop into our life that are like suckers of our energy, of our passion, of what we were put on this earth to do as chefs and as parents. And so, you know, the big challenge and one thing that I continuously try to work on is, is just trying to shut off and, and just kind of block that stuff out. But it just always seems like there's just something right there, like, well, you know, we, we've got to fix the hood or we've got to, you know, there's, um, you know, someone hasn't been showing up or, you know, what do we do? There's always typically just some type of thing that kind of creeps into our personal space that we have to address right then and there. And then it's just the realization that, wow, this is just not going to end. You're just going to have to deal with it. So in terms of how I deal with these types of things, I try to be pretty structured and disciplined by compartmentalizing. Um, 
it doesn't mean that I don't address these things, but in just the ways to manage it, it just really comes down to compartmentalizing tasks um, and trying to do a priority list and understand that this is like 15% that you're just not going to see coming. But um, it, you really have to compartmentalize. I mean, that's how I deal with it. Are you going to go back to the 100-hour work weeks? Right now, just the way it feels, um, everybody's hurting, okay? Uh, but what's really needed in this whole situation is leadership. And that's unfortunately something that I cannot delegate at this time. I think now, speaking particularly of my team or my teams, you know, I have to be present. You know, I have to be there um, just to kind of lead and try to just like, while I don't have the answers, to show that, hey, it's one foot in front of the other. Um, we're going to get through this the best that we can. Um, it's not going to be perfect, but just by showing up, is, and I've always said in my kitchens, I was just like, hey, you know, showing up is 90% of it, you know. Um, but just really just try to show everybody, you know, showing up, being there on time, being there a little bit earlier um, than everybody else. And then oftentimes requires being a bit later too. Um, that's what the time right now is dictating. So in terms of going back to 100-hour work weeks, uh, you know, whether it's 100 or it's 60 or it's 50, whatever it is, you know, I just have to be present. So I'm prepared for it. I've, I've been working ridiculous hours as it is just trying just to keep the machine um, moving ahead. So, so yeah, if, if that's, if that's what's necessary, then I'm prepared to do hundred hour work weeks. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but. Uh, the root of the question is in going from working, let's say 60 to hundred hours a week, right? Prior to the pandemic. And then there was a pause, you know, and, 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 you know, was there an aha moment in that relative to work-life balance where you said, you know, I spent more time with, you know, for me, at least I spent more time with my kid in the last two months than I did in the last two years. Yeah. No, that's great. You know, and, and I, I value that. And, and you yeah. know, I, it, it informed what my life is going to look like when I go back to work. There are certain compromises that I made that I don't think I'm willing to make again. And not because my kid suffers for it, but because I suffer for it. Yeah. I miss out on that, you know? And I'm not willing to do that because the floor drains backed up into the dining room. Yeah, yeah um, I hear you. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I, I'm, I, I'm all for that. Um, I think that what you're saying is, is, is totally, this is a moment where we get just to look within and we try to prioritize what's important. So it, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I think that that floor drain that's backed up is still going to be there and all these things are going to be there. So it's just a question of whether or not, you know, we're going to have to just adjust how we how we work i suppose um it's it's tough for me to imagine though because just so many of the variables that we're dealing with right now it's you know we're we're factoring in as if customer customers behavior is going to just be the same the minute that we decide to get back to work and the fact of the matter it's not um until we have a full on um, vaccine that's tried and proven. Um, people are going to be skittish. Um, I'm just, um, I mean, people want to socialize and be out there, but 
the whole concept of, of, of restaurants is kind of on the block, you know, restaurants to me have always been, you know, from the root of restoration, you know, you know, a place to restore yourself, you know, they've always been the cornerstone of just socialization and, and meeting up and doing all these different things. And, and I'm, I'm wondering if this, anxiety that people have in terms of like being constantly on guard being out there is not gonna you know ruin the equation um to the point where people are just like you know what i'm okay you know food's good but it's not that important to me right now so i'm just gonna either gonna order in or i'm gonna be cooking more at home so and and that's not the the mention like we're saddled with the with the same variables um you know, the rent's still the same. Most of us were trying to renegotiate. Um, but we're dealing with an equation of 50% occupancy. And real estate market, if like, if the only thing, um, if only restaurants were competitive for spaces, you know, restaurant spaces, well, then okay, then it would kind of balance and, and adjust. But the fact of the matter is, is that a shopping store or or some type of other venue can fill the space doesn't uh, establishment doesn't necessarily have to cater to um, the sales volume projections of a restaurant what the demands are so you know it's it's a tough moment you know to to see where we're going to be where we land with this thing are you fearful and if so how do you manage that fear in relation to being a leader i'm not going to say fearful um, I have concerns. Um, my way of dealing with it is like I had said before, it's really just maintaining momentum. Um, it really just comes down to showing up and doing what you can do and putting one foot in front of the other, um, and taking it, you know, us as chefs, you know, we try to organize and we try to control as much as we can because there's so much that we are not in control of, and there's no possible way to be in control of. So how we schedule and how we plan, that really is just kind of like gone out the window. So I'm not fearful because at the end of the day, I believe that everybody has to eat. And so it's one of those things where it's not like a widget where you put on the market and it's just basically rendered useless. So the one thing that we have on our side is that people have to eat. It's just the question of whether or not as chefs, we're going to be as adaptable as it's required to deliver that, um, not only food, but as you know, as food's kind of moved on, you know, it's people want an experience. So how do we now adapt to new experiences? So I'm not going to put in fear because at the end of the day, I'm doing what I love to do and I still love to do it. It's just, it's concern because I know that there are a lot of great places which are often not on the kind of the front page map of where a lot of the media kind of focuses on that has such unbelievable mom and pop stuff, um, shops that have just such unbelievable food. Just knowing what I deal with, I mean, on the phone, I mean, I put my chef coat on my apron every day and, you know, I fight for about an hour, an hour and a half, just to get up out of the booth to then actually go in and cook because I'm fielding so many things, whether or not it's dealing with the shifting laws and rules that are happening or understanding what is the pre-opening checklist of what to do and, and all weeding through the conflicting things that have to do. So in terms of fear, I mean, 
I have concerns, but I don't want to say fear. Um, I have concerns. Right on. Yeah. You're a celebrity chef that, that anyone <laughs> could look at from the outside and say it's hugely successful. Um, but I, I, I'm sure talent and hard work played a role in your success, but more than anything, I'm sure it was resilience because Lord knows it's one of the hardest industries in the world. Can you talk to me about what you would perceive as your greatest professional failure, the lessons learned from it and how you rebounded? I don't think it's ever culminated as, as one failure, so to speak. I think that it's just constantly, it's just, it's, you, you do something, you step back, evaluate, and you adjust. So I, I can't put it on one, I can't put it on one thing. I think, you know, if you, you know, you look at, you know, one thing that was given to me a long time ago um, from my mom during one of my, my graduation, I think it was from, from high school or it was from college. And it was this um, thing that you hang on the wall. It's like crisis equals opportunities. Um, and the concept is, is that in every crisis lies a unique opportunity. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really dwell on it as quote unquote failures. Um, I just kind of look at it as just opportunities. Um, I know it's kind of like weird and annoying to kind of like, say, oh yeah, well, you, you know, it, how, how could this terrible thing that happened be an opportunity? But, you know, these are the things that really cause us to, to look within and make adjustments, you know, and to say like, hey, that, that was right. Okay, that felt good. That wasn't right. And then how do we move? So I can't really put it on one, one thing. That makes sense. And again, it speaks to your resilient nature. The fact that you were, you know, that you see that the obstacle is the path. I chose very early on, you know, to focus on my passion, um, which is food and cooking. And I realized that it was a, a storybook that would, I would never fully comprehend and realize, but I was just going to, and still to this day, I go to the farmer's market and I see vegetables I've never even thought or conceived of happening out there. And I mean, still, you know, you know, after 30 years of being, you know, being in the, in the business, I'm still amazed, right? Still am constantly learning. So, you know, for me, that's, um, that's really the, the, the big drive. That's really the big gift. How did you define success January, 2020? And how do you define success today? How has that changed? Well, you know, January, 2020, really, we were, Specifically, we were anticipating the opening of uh, Hamilton in the Pantages, the theater right next to us. We're gearing up. We're really excited because people are going to be out there. And then, and then just the rug was pulled out. Um, so, you know, success really was wrapped around constantly mo motivating and driving the team. And, and I guess just feeling good at the end of the day. It, it shifted a bit. When um, when COVID um, showed its face, and I think that for me, my focus was just to try to be grateful for things, um, grateful for certain opportunities, for us to be able to um, really get involved. For example, in St. Joseph Center, or being able to feed people, be of service. I think that for me was was a real, you know, I always embraced it, but, you know, for me, it was almost like a calling, you know, because, 
you know, what do you do, you know, as a chef, you know, you're feeding somebody, but, you know, ultimately it's not about like how beautiful something can be. It's just, how do you make people feel? And whereas besides, you know, before it was just like, Hey, what new inventive dish can I do? And what are people going to really appreciate to, you know, how, how can we help people? How can we help people in need um, while we try to figure this whole thing out? So getting involved with the St. Joseph center for organizations like the Neil bridge or, um, uh, frontline foods where we get to the, we have the opportunity to feed the frontline hospital workers, um, or with St. Joseph now, which we're doing a meal for meal program where every meal that we produce, we, we produce, I'm doing this in conjunction with, uh, with Jimmy Kimmel. Um, we donate a meal for every meal that we produce and it goes to those, um, those in need. And, um, in particular, uh, the less fortunate um, and the homebound elderly. And so that has just been kind of like the backbone, I suppose, of like, okay, who are we feeding? And trying to not only just like bang out meals, but like really like just like, hey, you know, this is like could be one meal for the entire day for somebody. Like how do we put our polish on it? Like how do we make it really extra special and fighting for the little details on the dish as opposed to trying to think about like, Oh, we're just feeding people. And we're just, you know, trying to make it special. Well, in the charitable functions that all came on the back of you pivoting to delivery and takeout. What was that experience like? How has it worked out? Are you guys making any money doing it? Is it keeping you afloat? Well, you know, um, a couple of questions in there. So how did we make the shift? Um, we had no choice. Um, and, you know, bear in mind, it's just, you know, first and foremost, you know, I just spoke to my staff and just being upfront and honest with them. And I just, I said to everybody, I said, look, I'd love to see this thing going so that when we do get through this, everybody has places, a job to come back to. So I want to go for it, but I, I don't want anybody to be doing anything that they feel unsafe or they don't feel comfortable with. Um, and I just basically explained that I would shrink to the lowest common denominator of one person. If we're a group of five or 50 of, if one person had like the greatest fear of saying, Hey, you know what? I, I'd like to see everybody wearing gloves, even though at that, I mean, we, everybody wears gloves in my place. I'm just using examples. Like, mm -hmm. Hey, you know what? Like it's not quote unquote required, but everybody's going to wear gloves. So just trying first and foremost to make everybody internally feel comfortable, safe. And, and, and in the beginning, you know, a lot of information that was out there was really not hundred percent accurate. So I was just combing the internet. I was combing sources Get, speak, listening to a doctor speak online just to kind of say, hey, what is this thing and how can we do it safely to the best of our ability? Um, so we basically, we jumped right into it. Um, but my model in Hollywood is really a steakhouse. So my attitude was people need comfort food right now and I want to price it accordingly so everybody reasonably, everybody can afford it. So doing dishes that are typically anywhere from you know, 12 to, you know, I think the highest we went was like $20, um, you know, that are kind of like blue plate specials or things that are really more comfort driven, things that I'm excited about, things that I'd like to eat or, 
or just really just go off the handle, you know, with, with matzo ball soup, a comforting dish makes people feel, you know, warm inside and trying to leave a lot of the, you know, the greater superficial creativity at the door. Um, so we shifted like that. Um, there was another part to your question that you had mentioned. Uh, Is it keeping you afloat? Are you guys? It, it really just depends on, on how you look at it. Right now, I mean, it's just inconceivable to, to, to be able to, to have to pay the rent that we do. So right now, so many things are at bay. We have purveyors that are working with us um, uh, to get us through, but our payables of before, I mean, a lot of it's on hold. So a lot of purveyors, you know, will we'll just we'll do COD you know, mm-hmm. just to get us to the door, you know, and, and keep it going. So we're, we're staying afloat. That's, that's the goal just to survive in terms of making money. It's, there's no making money right now. You know, right. there's always, there's still the same old fixes that have to, you know, air conditioning. Oh, someone forgot to do this. So now we have to get it done. That's two grand or, Oh wait, someone, you know, the, you know, we need to snake out the grease trap and that's, you know, another, you know, 300. So you have all these things that are kind of sucking onto you, but yet our sales volume is, you know, five to 10% of what it was before. So but look, I don't want to paint this gloom picture here. You know, like right now, everything 100% is about survival. We just want to keep the doors open so that when we break through this thing, we have a business to come home, come home to and be there for not only the employees, but be there for our customers as well and our neighborhood, as well as the charitable things, which we love being part of. It's just reinvigorated us. Well, and how pliable are you in the future? Right now you're in comfort food. As soon as dining is back up to 100%, there's a vaccine. Are you going like right back to the swanky steakhouse with the, with the high-end offering? And Well, you know, it's a great question. Right now I'm shifting more to barbecue. Um, it's, it's my core, it's my love, and it's, it's definitely, it's more communal. It's a lower check average, um, but most importantly, I'm passionate about it. Um, I'm not going to exclude the stakes. I'm still going to have that component. But, um, uh, you know, again, it's not like, hey, if you walk through the door, you know, if you're not getting a stake, you feel less than as a customer, whether from whatever direction you get it. So we're shifting the model. We're figuring that out right now. I have meetings later today about it. Of now, when we're opening, okay. So, what does the dining room look like? What's the sound level going to be look like? How are we communicating to the customer? How are we making them feel safe? How are we making our our employees feel safe going through this? I mean, this is this whole thing is just it's just a big unknown. So, we wash our hands. We are constantly wearing gloves, face masks, changing. You know, you know, just everybody you know, taking temperatures when people walk through the door. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's, we're gonna those go are all the time. questions of the day. I mean, you and I are in the same tier of dining and we think the same thing, like, you know, how far apart are the tables? What's it look like when somebody with a hazmat suit comes up to take your order? Yeah, it, it's, it's exactly right. I mean, I have my contractor coming in, you know, and he gave me a quote for, I think like 17 grand to put, you know, glass partitions that kind of sh- shoot out in between the the booths but then you turn around and you're like okay so we do this and then all of a sudden you know cdc or somebody comes out 
and they say, oh, it's unnecessary. We're like, what do I have to do to earn 17 grand? to just to put those partitions in. And then at that you point- You gotta make $170,000 top line. It's crazy. And I'm on top of that. Even if I put that in, does is that what the public is looking for in terms of making themselves making them feel comfortable in my place? Um, so uh, yeah, these are the decisions that we're going through right now. Right now, the plan is, is, is to keep people socially distanced. Um, we're going to be opening up, I believe, this next week, this week here. But we're going to have the takeout menu that we've been doing. Still have the steaks, but what we're really looking to get into, and and I don't want to just jump into it, is really more focused on the barbecue um, mm-hmm. aspect and have traditional things, things that I'm known for. But also, um, I've been enjoying going to the farmers market, you know, on Wednesdays when it was happening and now, you know, Sundays in Hollywood, you know, as well. So it's an industry podcast. And so at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the industry. Is there anything you would like to share? Keep going. Um, Just try to, you know, look, it's like, I just imagine it as if I'm done, you know, that classic example, you're digging, digging all these tunnels and like, five inches before you, you know, you kind of like strike oil or strike gold, you know, like you turn around, you go the other direction, try to stay positive, try to stay charitable, just most importantly, just keep moving. And I don't know what the future holds. Nobody does. And whatever I I say might be, uh, I might have to be adapt, you know, and change. So I'd say, keep moving, be incredibly adaptable, focus on your passion, your your love, why you got into this for the, in the first place. And, and just, I wish everybody good luck. That's celebrity chef, Adam Perry Lang. To check out what the chef is working on, visit him on Instagram using the handle Adam Perry Lang. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content or read our weekly blog, go to joshkopel.com. That's J O S H. K-O-P-E-L dot com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.